everyone. Welcome to this week's podcast. Today we're going to be chatting about websites. Last week we had a conversation about branding and now we're going to really get into how you can use that work that you've done and bring it into your website. And over the past six months, I have been doing a huge amount of work on my own website and I want to share some of my personal experiences and what I've learned along the way. Hello, Laura. How are you going? I'm very well, thank you. Mm. Okay, so last week we were talking about branding, how important your brand is, and knowing what your audience is, which is fantastic. But it's all for nothing if you don't have a really good website. I am a fan of having a really solid home for your business, and I believe that should be your website, and that you shouldn't be relying on social media for that. Social media is the way of bringing people over to your website. Yeah, I remember somebody saying, you know, what would happen of Instagram and Facebook and YouTube was to all shut down tomorrow. You have a good, solid emailing list. Your website is very well designed and it's homely and you get lots of visits to it. I do. And it's been one of my strategies over the last six months has been to build my website, grow my email list, become more independent in a way from those platforms. So to continue to use those things like Instagram and Pinterest, but to use them as tools um, that they help me in order to build my home base. So with that being said, we are going to be sharing seven tips for how to build a website if you haven't got one, or maybe how you could fine tune the website that you already have. So the very first thing that I want you to do is to be very clear about your brand. So if you haven't listened to last week's episode, I highly recommend that you listen to that and you work your way through the seven questions that I shared and have a strong sense of who you are and what you offer, who your ideal audience is. Because that information is going to be absolutely essential to building a website that performs, I guess. The next thing is that you want to know what is your website's purpose. And this ties in with what is your main offering? What is the best thing that you do? And is it front and center on your website? When people come to your website, can they immediately figure out who you are and what you offer? You want to be very clear and for people to be able to get a sense of a strong sense of what you do very quickly because these days you don't have long to capture someone's attention when they hop onto your page. You want to grip them and lead them on a path for them to be able to quickly find what they're looking for. I think it's very important to make that decision around your creative business and what it is that you do, whether or not you are focusing on selling your art, in which case your online shop with your art, your prints and any lifestyle products that you have that is going to be your priority and you should be showcasing, you know, maybe have a print of the month or, you know, latest work. All of that should 
be at the front end of your website. Whereas if you are focusing on your podcast and you want people to listen to that, then you want to show your latest episodes and perhaps popular quotes or little uh, little videos from your podcast, that kind of thing might feature. With us, the online classes are the most important thing that we offer and we want to make sure that that is the first thing that people see when they come to the page. And so very early on in my page, it shows actually the three main areas that I offer, which is online classes, retreats, workshops, and the podcast. And then underneath that, it goes straight into browse the classes. So it's got a very deliberate strategy. Yeah, it needs to be easy to navigate. Yes. The next thing is to check how people are working their way through your website. And quite often, you might think that something is obvious and it's not. And I've had this quite a few times. I'm still very much learning and I've had people send messages to me and say, I can't find your online classes or where's your podcast, those sorts of things. So I'm always paying attention to that and going back and then checking and seeing, you know, have I perhaps not put this in a place that's obvious? And for a while, the main thing that I was making that mistake with was with my newsletter. I had quite a few people who didn't know where to go to sign up to my newsletter. And I have now got my newsletter sign up in multiple places. I have a pop-up for it, which I'll talk a bit more about later. I have opt-ins where people can get a free resource in exchange for their email address. And I have it on several pages. So not just the front page, the home page. I also have it on my About Me page and other areas of my website. So I took that feedback and I went, well, I'm going to put it in several places and make it very easy easy for people to sign up to my newsletter list. So have a look and check how people are flowing through your website and whether or not it is meeting your purpose and perhaps even ask a few people, get some feedback. So the next thing, and I've already, I guess, alluded to it, is the importance of building an email list. And this is a really valuable part of my business is being able to send uh, newsletters out and showcase uh, new products and things that I offer and keep people in the loop and, and really treat my newsletter subscribers as my people. Yeah. Yeah. So in order to do that, you've got to capture those email addresses. And as I mentioned, I use uh, various embedded forms. I also use, I'm currently using a program, I'm not sure if that's a word or a platform called Sumo, which enables me to put some pop-ups onto my website. I was was very resistant to using pop-ups for quite a long time, but they work. (laughs) (laughs) But it's a pop-up on your own website. Yes. So there are a couple of different ways. I try and use pop-ups that are as, I guess, they don't interfere too much with the experience. I have one which is at the very top of my website and it doesn't actually pop up. It just kind of sits there and you can close it. um, And it's in that sort of top announcement bar. And that's a newsletter subscription 
Sometimes I change it and do other things. If I have a new online class, I might change it to that. I also have another pop-up, which is down the bottom and it's just a little slide in. So it's not really intrusive. There's a variety of different types of pop-ups. Pop-ups have really grown from the sort of in-your-face pop-up, which works really well, by the way, if you don't mind that. Uh, But there are also more subtle ways that you can use pop-ups. And you can also make sure that pop-ups are only showing initially to someone and if they've ignored it, they're not going to get shown it again and again. And you can target it. There's all sorts of fancy stuff that you can do behind the scenes to control when your pop-ups show up. So you can have pop-ups that show up within a few seconds of someone getting to your site, or you might prefer to have your pop-up only come up once someone has engaged with you for quite a while, because they're more likely to be receptive to your pop-up if it comes up and they've been on your website for 30 seconds. They've taken the time out of their day. Mm. to come onto your website there's a good chance they might sign up you know especially if you can give them something yeah so if they've been on your website and they're reading a blog post and suddenly a pop-up comes up that relates to what they're reading about which you can do as well so you can have pop-ups that connect with certain pages of your website so they might be reading about Instagram or something like that and then you have a pop-up that says they can download their free workbook on how to, you know, strengthen their Instagram strategy, they're much more likely to go ahead and do that. So there's there's all sorts of ways that you can use those to tie in with your overall strategy of building an email list. You can also use an email list if you're not doing online classes or podcasts and things, if you're just selling your art, it's still super valuable to build an email list of collectors of your artwork. So I would look at having opt-ins that maybe provide people with advanced viewing of your art. So if you're going to sell originals that your the first look always goes to your newsletter subscribers, things like that, that can entice people or um, you might offer people a coupon that they can put towards an art sale so there are ways that you can bring people over to your community yeah well it's good to build a community yeah and then you've got those people that are really engaged they're the people that actually they want what you have to offer yeah they're interested in your resources or your artwork or your exhibitions your shows or your your vlog or yeah yeah. your workshops your videos your tutorials so you can create opt-ins attached to all of those things and the kinds of opt-ins that you can create let's talk a little bit about that um so i mentioned you could do coupons you can do what opt-ins do you have i have an opt-in to my newsletter where if you sign up you automatically will get 20 percent off coupon for my online classes So that's part of it. I also have a finding your unique creative style workbook as an opt-in. They're my two main ones at the moment that I'm running and I will work on a new one sometime that will come out in the next couple of months that'll probably be a workbook or a questionnaire, do surveys. So these kind of things that you would normally just put into your your newsletter 
podcast notes is that separate to what you would create for an opt-in yes so i have things that i would include in a blog post which is freely available to anyone who comes to my website same with podcast notes i have things that are just generally available and then these are your kind of like the cherry on the top you know something a little bit more a little bit extra that you've put together so usually you would have taken some time maybe to put it into a workbook or something that's downloadable it could be a video that you've put together mm-hmm. so it's it's something a little bit extra you've sort of gone above and beyond to create I guess what I would call as a resource so even if I've already subscribed to your emailing list when you release a new resource I still have to type in my email address to get that resource well it's up to you how you want to manage that side of things because you may decide to send that resource out to everyone on your email list anyway and then only have to have new people opt in um but there's also ways where on your website you can have people opt in to get a resource so they put in their email address even though they've already put it on your email list but it means they can download the opt-in straight away and what that means is that the program that I use for collecting those email addresses is MailChimp and MailChimp can recognize that that person is already on the list so they won't add. So that person's not going to get 10 emails. I got you. There's very um, advanced programs around this stuff. It is actually something that you can get bogged down in, in in some ways that, you know, you could consider even hiring someone to help with this stuff because it can get quite complex. It doesn't have to be. You can be quite simple with it as I am. But if you really want to look at the different pathways of people coming through your website and you want to segment your list and you want to only market certain things to certain people and you really want to get into the nitty gritty, um, you may want to look at someone who does that and outsource it because it could be quite time consuming. So my suggestion would be to start simple with some kind of extra or offer that you provide in exchange for an email address. If you are going to offer an ebook or a written resource, you'd want to be relatively good at copy. Yes, well, you know, I'm a big fan of copy. I talk about it quite a lot. I, I feel like it is worthwhile investing time and just really getting to grips with what kind of language you want to use in all your marketing website material. What kind of voice are you bringing to all of your marketing activity? And the key is to make it your voice, to speak in your language, to make it relatable, to bring your personality into the way that you deliver your content. I did talk about copy quite a bit in the last episode when we mentioned branding, but with your website, it's really important to have that consistent feel and to bring, I guess, an emotional element into what you do. So when you're writing your copy, I think when you're writing your copy, it's useful to think about what are people What are their pain points and what are their pleasure points? They're things that I often think about when I'm writing copy because most copy relates to either solving a problem or making people very happy and excited. So when you're delivering an online class or a podcast or anything like that, or even a piece of art, you are solving a problem for the audience. Don't talk about yourself in the third person. (laughs) 
<laughs> That's right. You don't have that there. No, I don't. My my about me page is very much like hi, hello there, how are you? You know, mm-hmm. sharing my story in in the first person. So the next suggestion that I have is to include what's often called social proof on your website. And what that is is evidence that other people are getting value out of your content or whatever it is that you offer. So that can come in the form of reviews, testimonials, facts, figures. If there's a way to inject some of that into your website, it's going to help people trust in what you do. It builds trust which eventually leads to sales ultimately or sales or downloads or whatever it is that you're looking for. Um, Trust is a very important factor. And where would you place testimonials? Do you just slap them around willy-nilly or? What you want to think about is how people are moving through your website and when that testimonial would help in order for people to then make the decision that you want them to make. With online classes, for example, you want some testimonials in there as people are starting to browse through the class material, maybe looking at the sales page for the class. Then a logical place might be towards the end of that information because it might to sort of clinch it for people. They're sort of interested, they're moving their way through and then they see, oh yes, that person enjoyed the class, that person got a lot out of it and then that helps. So you want to be strategic about where you put your testimonials and have them in places where they relate to what you're trying to achieve. And don't be afraid to ask for testimonials. I remember when you <laughs> when you first sent out, the, I think it was from the very first class and you were like, but what if they didn't like it? <laughs> <laughs> That's true. It's quite easy to ask for testimonials and, the, and you don't need many. So you, you may only need one or two. So they're fairly easy to gather if you've been selling your work or putting something out there. You won't find it too hard to get a testimonial. So go and do it. It's easy. There are easy ways to gather that information. I actually just sent out to my Facebook community for my online classes a request for some new testimonials. And the reason that I did that was because last time I did it, I asked for some information, but I wasn't super clear about what I was looking for. So I sort of just gave sort of free reign. The other thing was I didn't ask for their full name and I didn't ask for a headshot, which is fine. But if you want to bring even more, I guess, trust into your testimonials, the more information that you can provide that makes it look, well, it is a real person, but you know what I mean? Like you want people to get a sense that you haven't just randomly or not randomly, but you've just, you know, made it up yourself or something like that. So the more that people can see that it is a real person, the more trust they will place in the testimonials. So by showing that it is a person using a photograph, their full name, you're going to have a testimonial that is more valuable. When you go and request these testimonials, the format that I used was to share a Google form. And this is a really easy way to gather testimonials. Google forms are super easy to put together. It's a free part of the Google package. It'll take you five minutes to make the form. All you need to do is ask people if they are happy to share you know, maybe one to three paragraphs about what it is that you provided and how, 
you know, how it had a positive impact on them. And you can, you can give some examples if you want to, so that you can help people to give you the kind of information that you want. It's, it's nice to get specific testimonials, you know, a little bit more juicier or a bit of storytelling in there rather than just, I loved it, you know, like real basic um, stuff. It's good to sort of give people an idea of how they could flesh that testimonial out. And on this form that I created, I decided to make it optional to include the headshot because there are places in my marketing material where I don't use a headshot, where I just use a quote and that's fine. So I decided to provide the option so that I could use them in different ways. So on the form, I asked for the testimonial. Then I asked for the photograph. I just request a headshot. They can upload the file very easily. And then I include a consent. So it's got three parts, testimonial, photograph, consent. They can do that in a matter of minutes. It all uploads into my Google Drive and then I have everything I need. So it's very easy. The other thing that you can also share is numbers. So if you have a podcast, you could share how many downloads you have. If you have an online class, you can share how many people have enjoyed your classes so far. Uh, If you have... Um, had your work featured in magazines and things like that, that they're all ways of providing social proof. So it doesn't have to be a testimonial. It can be other, other sources of evidence that your work is being enjoyed and and valued and appreciated. I know that when we take photographs, we are very specific about the photographs we take for Instagram and social media, but the photographs that we use for the website. They're a higher resolution. They're a different aspect ratio. Everything seems to be bigger and better on your website. Is there, like, what's the reason behind that? Well, it comes back to what I said at the very beginning with my website being my home for the business. It is my priority. The visuals that I put on the website, they are going to stick around for a long time. Not forever, but... It's different to social media where a post generally only has a a lifespan of 24 hours and it's a fast moving world. People are on to the next thing. It doesn't need to be perfect. Yes, good photographs make a difference, but it's not quite the same as a website. Most people are viewing social media posts on their phone. So small size, you don't need the high resolution. You do get quite a lot of people viewing websites on your phone so that's something that you need to be mindful of too but you also get many people looking at a website on a big screen and these days screens are getting bigger and bigger so that resolution is important so that your photographs that stretch across the banner of your website because websites are becoming bigger too full screen banners so you need to have good quality photographs in order to make them look visually appealing on a large screen I still have some photographs on my website that are phone and that would be like a thumbnail that for maybe a podcast or a blog post or something like that that's small but when I'm going to have an image stretch right across the page and it's going to be something that really pops out at people then I always opt for professional photographs that have been taken on a camera rather than a phone and it's worth investing in a professional photographer for your website 
I'm very lucky because I have you. <laughs> but if you, you know, if you don't have that, it would be worth looking for someone who could do that work for you. And it might be a friend. There's many people that know someone that could help out or else you might decide to hire someone and put together a list of shots that you need. You don't need many. That's the thing. You may only need four or five really great photos for your whole website. Yeah. And if you're going to hire a photographer, if you're prepared for them, easily deliver 30 and it will be well worth it yeah really valuable for building that home and making an impression but when you are getting those photographs together or perhaps looking at hiring someone before you do that you want to do some planning and think about your brand what you're looking for the color palette the style of photography because what you want is a consistent feel across your website so if you're going to get someone in and they're going to take photographs ideally you would get them to take photographs for your whole website so you have that same feel and look across the page and then when you add little bits and pieces yourself if you are using your phone see if you can kind of bring it into the same style whether you use a filter or whether you um, just adjust saturation and things like that on your photos so that you are matching up with the style of the other photos on your website then it's going to have a much better feel across the whole thing consistency Mm. one of our favorite things and with those photographs as much as possible try to use your own photographs you can supplement with stock photos um, but it To make your website personal, your own photographs are always going to give it that feel and and bring your brand into it. Okay, so we've talked about the photograph side of things. Once you've done all the the mapping out of your website, you're very clear about your purpose, you, you understand your brand well, then you get to do the the design stuff, which I love looking at your fonts, how you lay out your photographs, what's the sort of style of your website, the colors, the colors, all of that. And that will contribute enormously to the feel of your brand and your home. What I did was to really like pay attention to what colors I was drawn to bring them into the website. So I made choice about what colors I would use. Most website providers like uh, Wix and Squarespace, they supply templates, don't they? They do. So I use Squarespace and Squarespace Squarespace has many different types of templates and they are beautifully designed. They're clean. They're easy to work with. Another thing that you can do though, if you want your website to have a bit more of a unique feel is you can either customize it yourself, which I've done plenty of on my website, or you can purchase a template that you put over the top of that template. So if you go on to Pinterest, uh, I'm thinking Pinterest, yeah, or even just Google Squarespace templates, you'll come up with designers that offer templates that you can use and they often have just a little bit more going on with them than the bare bones of a Squarespace template. And you can mix and match because that's what you do, isn't it? Like yours is totally modular. Like you'll use a banner from this and a homepage from that and a pop-up from here. (laughs) Yeah. Like it's just, yeah, you just... 
I have um, brought in, I guess, ideas from various different places and I have used a variety of templates and amalgamated them to come up with what I use for my website. So that's one way of approaching it. And I'm always on the lookout for, uh, I guess, new ideas for my website. When I go to other websites and I see something that looks really functional or really cool, like I might make a little tweak. That's the great thing about using something like Squarespace and having a basic knowledge around it is that you can continue to evolve and grow your website and that's what it the process should look like it's not like you create a website and then it's just done forevermore yeah so if you go on to like a to book a flight or something and the website has a feature that you yeah. really like you go oh i might put that yeah, on my website that, that's right so i go around and i i just take notice of things and functions and i also look at font combinations color palettes those sorts of things I'm always taking notice of that stuff from a branding perspective. And I don't just look at websites either. I, I often look at magazines. Um, I, ha- I have a magazine that I've fallen in love with recently called Flow Magazine. I love looking at print material because they have wonderful font combinations and ways of branding and marketing. And I look at that and see if there's any ideas I can bring into how I visually arrange things on my website. So that's another way of looking at the visual side of things. So with all that in mind, if you don't have a website, how about taking some of these tips and ideas and getting started on building your first website? But if you do have a website, head on over and see if you can put some of these ideas into place and give your website a little bit of love.